Hi, and welcome to Nasio Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Alex Whitaker in Washington, D.C. Today, we're talking with our friends from U.S. Digital Response about the organization and how they assist state governments. That's right. We'll hear from USDR's CTO and co-founder, Alex Elaine, and their director of public digital, Tina Walla. Let's get started. Alex and Tina, welcome to Nasio Voices, and thanks so much for joining us. Delighted to be here. So good to be here, Amy. Thanks for having us. Sure. Thanks for joining us. Before we get started on the good work U.S. Digital Response is doing, can you give us a quick introduction to each of you? We'd love to hear about your background and how you ended up with U.S. Digital Response. So why don't we start with you, Tina, and then we'll go to you, Alex. Great. Well, my name is Tina Walla, and I'm the Director of Public Digital at U.S. Digital Response. In my role, I get to explore new ways for USDR to help governments deliver for their residents. I joined USDR in the fall of 2021 after spending six years at the Seattle Mayor's Office, where I led the city's innovation unit. Earlier in my career, I worked in the New York City Mayor's Office, and I will confess I am a recovering management consultant. Thanks so much. Alex? Yeah. So Alex Elaine, I am the CTO here at U.S. Digital Response and based in San Francisco. Uh, My main job as CTO is really figuring out how do we find the patterns and trends in the projects that we're working on in order to more effectively scale reusable solutions. I also support our elections and rapid response program areas. I uh, joined USDR back in May, uh, March of 2020, right at the early days of COVID. And before that, I was a director of engineering at Dropbox. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, can you give our listeners a brief overview of what US Digital Response is and how it got started? Yeah, absolutely. So we started back in March of 2020, actually uh, on March 17th. So one day after this podcast is coming out. And so it's our two year right now. We began, basically, it was really some, we were a group of volunteers trying to help. There were some folks from government, former officials who were hearing from their friends that they needed help and assistance. And it was really overwhelming. And those folks reached out to some friends they had in the technology community and said, what can you do? And so we just started jumping in and doing whatever we could, really. And pretty quickly, we realized we we're going to need more than a few hands. And we put out a call for more volunteers and saw an enormous number of people sign up. And so we kind of built this engine for matching projects with people. So anything from help us model the pandemic, count hospital beds. We worked with Tina in Seattle to help them spin up free COVID testing for this city that's tested, I don't know, something like north of a million people now. And that was in the early days, we just thought it was going to be a few weeks and that it, you know we'd flatten the curve and to be over, which obviously did not turn out to be the case. And what we've done over the last two years now is continued to work, continued to try to serve in whatever ways we can in the middle of crisis. And so we've we've now matched uh, over 800 volunteers on 300 engagements with 200 state and local governments. All of our work is is pro bono. Uh, we match senior technologists. So we're not trying to give, you know, interns or, or people get some practice. It's people who can really move fast and can give good non-conflicted advice and make recommendations on how to approach things well from a technology perspective. What we've kind of seen over these hundreds of engagements is a lot of trends that 
are kind of repeated patterns. And so we're, we're seeing these places where we can actually develop more redeployable um, open source cross-jurisdiction solutions to problems and also sharing technical insights. So today we have four program areas that we focus on. Uh, the first is our core, which is that rapid response, matching volunteers to critical projects that are where there's just not enough hands to get the work done. Um, the second is thinking about capacity building and build, supporting digital service teams as, as they spin up. The third is, we call it our economic stability program. It's really focused on helping unlock flows of money, you know, things like unemployment insurance, making those workflows and technology efforts more effective. And then finally, you might not think about it, but elections were really disrupted in 2020 as a, a, an in-person event and suddenly changed in dramatic ways. Um, poll workers quit, things like that. And so we did a lot of work to help election offices adapt and manage through a really difficult time. And we realized there's a bunch of things we can do to help them just operate more effectively and, and more smoothly. So that's where we are today. And we're eager to, to share more about what we've learned. Yeah, that's so interesting. It, it's hard to believe that this was something that really started around the beginning of the pandemic very quickly, too. Um, but two years later is still going and has grown and become bigger. So for our state government friends listening, what are some of the concrete assistance that you can give to states or that you might be doing now? I mean, has it evolved from pandemic-related things? It seems like it probably has. It has. You're spot on, Amy. And the first thing I'll mention is that USDR works with all levels of government, including states. And as Alex mentioned, we offer a range of rapid response supports that aim to help in days and weeks, not months. So while you know our origin was in the COVID-19 pandemic, and while the United States has moved to a different phase of the pandemic, we retain that sense of responsiveness uh, for what states are needing. So I'll share four categories of support that we offer our government partners to give your listeners a bit of a better sense. Great. First, we help by providing surge capacity when a government lacks the technology they need to effectively deliver services for their residents or when technology challenges arise. Alex touched on this a bit, but the surge capacity that I mentioned, it takes the form of highly skilled staff and volunteer technologists who bring an incredible combination of technical skill and humility to the work that, that we do with our government partners. The second category of support is help that we can provide to help inform the design and development of digital services through user research, data analytics, and design reviews. Third, we can help states plan for their technology needs through procurement and decision support when it's time to buy new technology, which we know can have real implications for legacy systems. This type of support will also be likely helpful to states as they navigate their broadband journeys, which we're hearing from more and more states is top of mind given the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act funding coming down from the feds. And finally, number four, and Amy, this gets to, to your question. Um, as we've matured, so over the last two years, we've started leaning into the opportunity to facilitate knowledge sharing and ecosystem building by connecting our government partners to each other. Hmm. The one thing one thing I would emphasize if, if listeners walk away with one uh, tidbit in their mind from this podcast, I want to emphasize you don't need to have a fully baked out, perfectly scoped idea to reach out to USDR. We want you to reach out and we can work together to figure out how we can best support you. 
I'll mention one last thing on how we work with states. And this is particularly important to me as I joined USDR from the city of Seattle. And so there's, there's this one particularly magical aspect of how USDR works that really, really resonates with me. USDR uses every government engagement as an opportunity to build capacity in government and digital resilience so that governments can better respond to their community needs moving forward. So we think about sustainability from day one. Uh, and I feel like that's just really important to mention to listeners. In particular, one way this shows up is by helping our government partners with their hiring needs. Uh, I know when I was in Seattle, I I had to hire for the first product manager, and that was a whole learning journey I went on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so something that at USCR we we've been doing more and more of is helping our partners so that they can hire the right staff with the right skills so they can deliver moving into the into the future and and again build their own internal capacity in government. Yeah, that that's amazing. Do you guys have some examples of projects that you've done with state governments that might be interesting for our listeners? For sure. And I know this is a podcast, but I I wouldn't be surprised if listeners are going to he- essentially hear Alex and I smiling as we talk about these examples, because we just get so energized by the work of our government partners that it just, it's, it's really fun. Yeah. So I'll start by sharing a body of work we're currently delivering with the states of Ohio and Rhode Island to help them make the most of federal funds that have been released over the last two years. So if you take a walk down memory lane, you may remember that during the pandemic, state agencies were spending a ton of time and resources sifting through the federal government's coronavirus relief funds to identify those that were most relevant to that to their state, their residents, and then they would begin the application process, right? We heard about this challenge from a number of states. And so USDR developed a tool to help states more easily identify federal grant opportunities and coordinate application processes internally. We then built on those learnings by developing a reporting tool for the CARES Act funding that helped governments validate their data aggregate all required reporting data from across the enterprise and submit a single compliant report to the appropriate federal department. We're currently updating that reporting tool I've described to align with all the reporting requirements for the American Rescue Plan Act so we can offer this tool to states and municipalities at no cost and help alleviate some of that reporting burden that I think a lot of your listeners will will, uh, be able to relate to. Alex, let me pass it to you so you can share a couple more examples. Absolutely. Thanks, Tina. Yeah, so one one example I'd like to share is related to COVID. And this is some work we did in partnership with uh, the state of New Jersey. So they had a list of, this was back in um, last year, early when vaccines were first coming out, and it was really hard to get an appointment. And what they wanted to do was create basically a front door so that anyone could go to one state website and search for available appointments rather than having to go to the Kroger's and the Walmart and the Rite Aid and and all over the place just to try to find an appointment. So hard, right? Mm -hmm. So we worked with them to both build a centralized service that was both available to the public on the web, but also for the call center uh, agents, because not everyone's going to be going on a website, try to find an appointment. We wanted to support both of those communities. As part of that, we actually ended up building a, an API 
that is actually still available. So if anyone else is looking and wants to do something like this, we have the ability to do this for any other state as well that takes all the appointment data from various sources and, and aggregates it, which is one of the things we're really starting to think about is how do we scale these kinds of projects from one place to many. The second example I want to share is not COVID related, but relates to working with a state that was trying to collect some public comment data. And the, the folks asked to do this work. Technology wasn't their wheelhouse, but they, it was really important to them that they get this data and actually be able to use it in the course of their decision-making process. They thought they were going to have to buy a, a, an expensive database. They weren't sure even what it would look like to do that. They reached out to us and we asked some questions. We learned about what they were trying to accomplish and we helped them see what it might look like to actually have a system that could do the work that they needed. So we, we built a prototype for them in a tool called Airtable. It's a, it's a low-code database-like tool. And they really liked that prototype. And it helped them understand both, we don't need to spend millions of dollars on a database to, to get what we need, and really brought it to a level of concreteness that helped them throughout this whole project. I, I just caught up with some of the folks who were working on this project recently, and they had really nice things to say about it. And apparently, they were able to use the data in a really meaningful way because the tool ultimately solved the problem they really needed because they were able to early on understand exactly how it could help them. So those are two examples of very different types of projects. One where we were kind of building something a little bit from scratch in partnership with, with the state, and another where we were using our ability to make some advice, to share advice and, and insight to help avoid complicated, expensive solutions in, in favor of practical and lightweight, lower cost solutions. That's great. Thanks. That, that is really fascinating. And as someone who sifted through um, many lines of CARES Act and ARPA uh, legislation for those grant requirements and everything else, I'd, I'd certainly like to thank you all for the tools that you created. You know, I, I want to say, obviously, COVID is certainly not behind us, but with cases receding and it, and it looks like, you know, things are starting to improve. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you see digital response heading in the next five years or so. Well, that's a big question for a young organization. But, you know, first of all, we think that there's, we hope that there will not be a crisis as large as COVID in the future, but you never know. And we think there's a, an important role to play for that surge capacity when, you know, the local local capacity is just overwhelmed. And so we want to be there that available when something does happen. And as Tina was referring to, we also want to use what we've learned to help with resilience building and try to make it so that more folks are uh, ready from the, the tech side when the next crisis does occur. The second thing I want to say is we're also pretty excited about the fact that through this process, we have discovered some repeated patterns and reusable solutions that we think are pretty helpful. And so we're inspired by the work of folks at, for example, the Beck Intergovernmental uh, Software Collaborative and the kind of thinking they're doing is saying, hey, how can we kind of share reusable solutions so that not everyone has to, to rebuild things from scratch? And the other thing that I think you know Tina touched on a bit was just giving advice and connecting people together and really helping governments when they're making uh, purchasing decisions or trying to get the most out of the software that they have. Uh, that's an area that we we think we can help, and we're just excited to share you know the knowledge that we have wherever governments are going. Because at the end of the day, we want to be a responsive organization. It's it's in our name, so um, we're going to head in the direction that governments are heading and try to support them in making the most and getting the most out of technology. 
Thanks. So I'm sure that we could spend lots of time talking about all the great work that you're doing and and many more examples of where you all have had such an impact. But we do have to stop eventually. So I wanted to ask, where can listeners learn more about your organization and the work that you're doing? Great question. I'm so glad you asked, Alex. So listeners can read more about the experiences of state governments working with us at usdigitalresponse.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at usdresponse. And if you're a frequent Medium reader, I'd encourage you to check out our Medium page. And in particular, our 2021 Impact Report is a nice quick read that sort of summarizes who we are, what we seek to do in the, in the government ecosystem, and how we want to support. Um, so I'd suggest listeners check that out as well. Thanks. Great. We'll definitely put some links in the show notes, too, for that. All right, guys, before we let you go, here at NASIO Voices, we like to recognize that we are all more than just the good work we do. So we'd like to ask you three questions about your life outside of work in a segment we call The Lightning Round. Are you guys ready? So ready. So ready. Okay. (laughs) Question one. If you were living out your childhood dream job, what would you be doing right now? Let's start with Tina and then Alex. So this is so embarrassing that y'all are getting me to confess this on a podcast, but I used to, when I was like nine years old, I would go into our bathroom at my house and look in the mirror and pretend, (laughs) pretend that I was Barbara Walters, like (laughs) co-anchoring the news. (laughs) That's awesome. Alex. Well, when I was in third grade, I learned a program from my grandmother, who was actually a COBOL programmer. Wow. And ever since, I've always been into technology. So I think you could say I'm kind of living my dream job right now, programming and sometimes even helping systems that are COBOL get transformed into more modern systems. So that that's my answer. Okay. I guess I'd be a marine biologist right now, but you know, this is not like that at all. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Would you rather snow ski or water ski? Tina? I'm going to go with snow skiing. Um, I am fairly terrible, but I love being in the mountains. So got to go with snow. All right. And Alex? I'm going to go with the apres ski. I am a little bit more of the drinking hot chocolate in a cozy environment type of person. Yes, that sounds nice. Alex Whitaker, what about you? Oh, you know, I think for both, I would uh, take the similar answer. If I was skiing, water skiing, I'd, I'd stay on the beach and snow skiing, I'd stay in the lodge. Awesome. My husband forced me to finally learn how to snow ski this winter. And because we live in Kentucky, the only thing we can really do is drive an hour and a half north to Indiana for skiing. And there's no like apres ski situation. Like it's just skiing and then getting in your car <laughs> and driving home. So I'm really looking forward to next winter going somewhere where I can have hot chocolate after skiing. All right. Question three. Have you watched any good TV shows or movies lately that you'd recommend? Tina, you can go first. All right. I don't know about y'all, but I recently finished Yellow Jackets, Mm. which is a show that I would describe as Lord of the Flies meets Mean Girls. (laughs) (laughs) It's brilliant. I love it. And I'm now waiting uh, for the next season to drop in a year or two. I love it. I'll also put in a plug for Abbott Elementary, which I was never a teacher, but just it's so hilarious and good hearted. So would recommend that as well. Awesome. I know we have similar tastes in shows, so I will definitely check those out. And Alex? Well, this is not a recent recommendation, but I'm a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer Ah. fan. 
Nice. So I'm going to go on record as saying that. Uh, great show. Maybe start at season three <laughs> so you can get into it a little bit before you watch one and two. Okay. But hi- highly recommended. Awesome. So thank you, Alex and Tina, so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today and for sharing your lightning round answers. We really have enjoyed hearing about the other work that USDR does and look forward to hopefully hearing more in the future. Thanks so much for having us. This was so fun. We're doing this again next week, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super fun. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for listening to Nacio Voices. NACIO Voices is a production of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. And registration for our NACIO Mid-Year Conference in National Harbor, Maryland is now open for NACIO members. You can learn more at NACIO.org. We'll be back in two weeks with more great state IG content. Talk with you then. Bye.